Ayo fam, welcome to the 29th ever episode of Inside Outlook, the official podcast of Asian Outlook Magazine and Media. My name, as always, is Mike Messina. Joining me today is a bunch of other Asian Outlook members, as well as Mr. David So himself. David, thank you so much for being here today. Hello. Hello. Hey. What's up? How's everyone doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. How are you doing, Chris? Good, good. It's, it's cold. <laughs> yeah. This is my uh, second time. I came here about like five years ago. Oh, really? Yeah. Like I, I didn't realize until I, I met a friend who I actually met at Babington. So when I met her, well, she was like 19 at the time. And then we always just kept in touch because she was a part of like the e-board members that brought me here. And then, yeah, we just kind of kept in touch for like five years. And then she was like, yeah, that's where I met you. So now we're back here. <laughs> and what's bringing you here this time? Uh, I had a bunch of shows in the area, and then you guys hit me up to be to come here. So I was like, "Oh, it's I'm gonna be in Jersey and New York." So I was like, "I'll just stop by Binghamton too. Why not?" Oh. Thank you. <laughs> you said the area. I thought you meant like right in Binghamton, like downtown. No, no, no. There's, there's nothing yeah. around here. You can get murdered, and nobody would know. Like, <laughs> I was scared coming up here. I was like, "This is a bunch of trees and roads." <laughs> oh my God. Does anyone have any questions they wanted to ask? And if you could introduce yourself first, that'd be great too. Oh, so um, I'm Claire. I'm the videographer of AO. And uh, a question I had in mind was, uh, as you've grown older, how has your Korean American identity evolved, and what does it mean to you right now? Hmm, that's a good question. Uh, you know, when I was like, I man, it's so weird because I feel like the way that I grew up is very unique. Uh, when I started doing YouTube. I think I had uh, a very just small perspective of how the world was because I didn't realize how vast and large the world, specifically like the Asian American experience, right? So what I grew up with was I, in my school, it was you were either Asian, Black, Mexican, and the amount of so we had a pie chart of ethnicities in our school, so you could see, you know, where people are from and their you know their ethnic backgrounds. There's a two percent sliver, and that was like white American. That's what I grew up with. So I was never the 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 outsider. Like we were we were the majority. So when I, and that's how it is in LA too, right? But then when you start coming out to like different cities, different states, when I was, when I was traveling and doing standup, I started to realize that there were other Asian kids out there who didn't, who, who never really got to identify who they were because they grew up in an area where they were the minority, right? So I, I started hearing stories about, you know, being bullied, like in a very just terrible, like racial type of way, you know, the whole, hello, you know, like the eye shit, which to me, I saw on TV, but it never happened. I mean, if you did that shit in my neighborhood, you get shot. So it's like, <laughs> nobody would ever do that shit. So I didn't, I didn't know that really existed. And so what I started to realize was that my platform was, was refreshing for certain people. They go, oh, where I'm from, I would never speak like that because if I did, like I would be outed. It was hard enough for them being the only Asian kid in their neighborhood, but to see an Asian guy just very outspoken, which is normal for me. A lot of my friends speak the way that I do. It was it was kind of unique. So as I got older, I, I didn't really identify with being like a Korean American because it was such a multicultural area. And you know, a majority of my friends were either Vietnamese, Chinese, or black. So I didn't grow up with a lot of Korean people. I went to a Korean church, but I didn't really get along with a lot of like the Korean people at the church. So I, I didn't really develop a Korean community. And I, I didn't realize how Korean, quote unquote, because I wasn't born here. I was actually born in Korea. So I was born in South Korea. I came here when I was two or three. So I realized how important it was for me to kind of like connect to my Korean roots, per se, because it just wasn't something that I grew up with, right? 
but then you start to realize like everything that my parents taught me when I was younger starts to come out now. A lot of like the way that I work, the reason why I am a hard worker, the reason why I have this chip on my shoulder, I think is a very Korean thing. We have a lot of Han, they say. And I started connecting to these things. I'm like, oh shit, I guess I really am like as Korean as Korean gets. And I don't realize it because I, I mean, I speak Korean too. Like I grew up in a household where nobody spoke English except for you know me and my brother. So uh, as I get older, I think I, I start to appreciate my culture a lot more. I, I, and I'm so glad that other people are appreciating it too. Like when I saw that whole K-pop shit happen, I'm like, fuck, people like our music? That's fucking mind-blowing to me. Some crazy people, but you know, they're a little crazy. But it's, it's kind of cool. Like our, our culture specifically, like if you kind of look at our history, just from when we were devastated through war, the type of industrial revolution that we had after that war was so fucking fast. I, mean, I think it speaks to our culture a lot, like how we just never, we never quit, we never give up. We're this small, small little part of the world, and our culture, everybody is fucking obsessed with it. We have this weird K-pop wave. Everybody wants to look Korean, be Korean, dress Korean, and they want to eat all the Korean. It was the weirdest thing when I went to a Korean barbecue, and I remember this white guy came up to me, and he was just like, sir, do you want me to explain what kimchi is to you? I'm like, bitch, you want me to explain what kimchi is to you, motherfucker? You know, but it was cool. I was like, yo, look at this. Like, they, it's it's very inclusive. People care about our culture a lot. It makes me proud to be Korean, you know? I'm Emma. I'm the publicity chair for Asian Outlook, and I even DM'd you, like, a couple hours <laughs> I was like, it's not gonna look at it. I'm not okay. But um, did you look at it? Yeah. <laughs> I can't filter through all like unknown DMs. It's way too much. It's like impossible. Yeah. Um. Well, my question for you was, oh, did you grow up having siblings or? I have one older brother. One older brother. Yeah. Okay. So I had another question with you saying how like when you decided to end like leave college. Yeah to pursue um, YouTube, uh, like how was it so easy for you to, well you did say focus on yourself, mm -hmm. invest in yourself, but how was it, was it easy? Oh hell, hell no, oh, it wasn't easy. Oh, okay. Actually it was, it was so fucking hard, just because, I mean your parents always have this idea of what they want you to be right whether they they think it or not i mean when i become a parent one day i'm going to do the same to my kids right I, i'm going to try not to but they kind of envision this life for you that they didn't really discuss with you and i think that happens a lot with like asian american parents or just parents in general because they, they want the best for you but they don't really ask what you want and the heart and there's like a there's two sides to this too where i appreciate that my parents want something great for me I mean, if I, I'm pretty sure if they came, my parents came here just broke as hell, and I tell them, "Hey, Dad, guess what? I want to struggle for the rest of my life." And, you know, like it's it's very hard for them to hear because they know how much how hard it was for us to even become like a lower middle class family, right? Because we went from being broke, broke to just to getting by to being okay, and it's it's still like that to this day. So when I decided to to do comedy, it was something that I had to fight all the time, and we didn't have a lot of time up there, but I would have gotten more deep into the story. But long story short, my dad and I did not get along until like maybe five years ago. He hated my choices. We fought all the time. Whenever he, he looked at me, he would get angry because I didn't do what he thought was a safe and smart move. So he's just worried about me. Like, I'm gonna be poor, I'm gonna struggle. But he was right, I did struggle a lot. But I was willing to do that, right? And I think that's like what I enjoy about this country so much is the fact that the, the I don't know, it kind of sounds cliche, but the for me, like this American dream is not so much to become rich, but it's the fact that you have choices. Like I have a choice. I can choose to be this. I'm not born into a caste system. I'm not born into this like 
this this rigid like societal standard of what I have to be. I can choose what I want to be. And so I took that very seriously and I and I had to make a choice and my father and I fought. We didn't talk for almost like I actually didn't see my dad for almost two years straight because he just I was dead to him. And it was very hard for me. Like a long story short, I I've told this on a podcast before, but very dramatic thing where he and I just I literally, we got into a fight, and this is the first time I actually pushed my dad. I'd never touched him before, but he was, like, still, like, physically beating me up at the age of, like, 25. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. And I remember I shoved him, and I felt so terrible. But a part of me left because I didn't want to live in that household anymore. I didn't want to be around it. And for me, and my mom told me this, too. She goes, you know, at the end of the day, when you die, you're just left with your own choices. So I took that. I was like, you're right. I am left with my choices. So I can't pursue what they want me to be for the rest of my life because after they're gone, it's just me. It's just me, my family, my friends, whatever, my kids. And then what am I going to do? Am I going to look back and then when my parents are gone and go, fuck you. They're not there to say fuck you. I got to I gotta do what I want to do. So when, I, when we had a very, very, very bad relationship, I had to go ahead and work harder to make sure that I could be something so I could come back and be like, fucking told you so. And so I did do that. I, I left. I didn't talk to him for a year-ish or two. I can't remember what the time span was. And then eventually he just, he had to give in. My mom talked to him. She told him that, basically what my mom said was that, you know, you kind of had this idea of what you wanted your son to be. If you wanted your son to be a Korean, Korean kid, where you live in this one household, everybody lives together, he listens to what you say, he becomes a businessman. Why did we come to this country? You you made a choice to come here. You He's an American kid. And you chose to come here and now you're mad at him for being an American kid. So whose fault is that? Let him live his life. And then after that, my dad and I started, I want to say bonding. We had some other fights along the way because it was still really hard for him. But um, eventually we started getting to, uh, uh, we, we get along pretty well now. We, we still fight because we have our differences. But, you know, it, it's, it was it was hard, man. It was super hard. Like, just just imagine being having a brother who went to a university, UC San Diego, never got into a single fight in his life. Very, very smart guy. And there was me who just was going to comedy clubs with a fake idea. So I could, you know, I was not like the the ideal Korean Asian kid. I was, I was a troublemaker in his eyes, but I was just trying to pursue what I wanted to do and I was working hard towards it, but he just couldn't see that. He wanted me to be successful in the way that he wanted me to be successful. It sounds like you have, even though you still have those differences with your dad, it sounds like you really understand his point of view do you kind of agree with that oh for sure man like i and that comes with age you get you are, you're allowed to be more empathetic like empathy makes empathy allows you to really make sense of this world right because what i'm starting to understand only until recently is that even when people do you wrong there's a reason why that person is the way that they are mm-hmm. there always is and i'm finding that about my personal friends like some of my personal friends are fucked up and i and i look back at it, I'm like, why do they make these dumb fucking choices? Why do they keep doing this? And then we have a conversation. And something happened when they were a child. They were beat. Uh, some of them were, like, sexually abused. How they, like, it's it's kind of crazy, like, how empathy has allowed me to be a less angry person. And it allowed me to connect, connect to my father a lot. So my dad always made his choices because my dad was, like, he had a terrible childhood growing up. He wants to, and my mom always said, too, she goes, you know, you, you should feel bad for your father because your dad wants to, be around his family so much that he's pushing you away. So imagine how sad that is. It's like, I love my family. I want them around, but I'm so abrasive that they, they're running away from me. So for me, because I, I decided to be more empathetic towards my father, which we still do fight, mm-hmm. or it's just, it's it allows us to be closer now. 
because now I don't get as angry as I used to. I'm a little more understanding. And I think that's a I think that's a huge problem, especially with the rhetoric that we have with a lot of Asian American kids now. It's 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 a huge problem because the empathy that we used to have is slowly disappearing and I fucking hate it. I, I think the, the the biggest strength about being an Asian American is that we we're so good at like taking adversity and making it into a positive, right? So my I, I like this concept that I thought was a huge Asian thing, which I don't see a lot on Twitter and social media, is that we would never have to respond to a lot of this like race baiting conversations like, oh, we want to be heard, blah, 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 because we didn't have to. We kind of spoke with our actions. That's how that's how I viewed it. But just because like this American view views that as us being quiet, as being weak, it's like we had physical proof of our success, but now we're in this rhetoric of like, well, we want to be heard, blah, blah, blah. It's like, what, what is there to be heard? Our success is our story. Like, that's really it. That's why my dad never really got angry about bullshit like that. He, he still doesn't get it. He goes, why, why are people so loud about this shit? Like, we're fucking killing it. You know what I mean? We're business owners. We're fucking rich. We're making money. Like, what, what more do you need? Like, we've embodied what that American dream is. So where is this conversation happening now where a lot of, like, the youth is just like, well, you know, don't look at me like a model minority, which for me, I, I know that a lot of Asian people go through that. I don't know what the fuck that means. Mm. That model minority thing is a positive thing to me. Like when somebody looks at me and they go, you're going to be a lawyer. Okay. <laughs> you know, like what's what's the problem? You're going to be a doctor. I bet you because you're Asian, you're good at math. You're probably right. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm fucking dope at that shit. But, you know, now we look at that. We're like, like, well, don't tell me what I can or can't be. You're right. Dude. You don't, nobody's saying you can't be something else, but the model minority thing, I think is a positive. I actually appreciate that. That somebody can look at my ethnicity and say that, you know what? I bet you're academically successful. <laughs> but now people are like, well, I can be more than that. No, nobody's saying you can't, but I think our generation before did such a good job at raising smart individuals that they look at us and they go, damn, this motherfucker is going to be good at math. I bet your credit score is going to be dope. And now these kids are like, what the fuck? Like, what's the problem? It's great. Look at me and think I'm good at math. You're wrong, but thank you. You know? I think a lot of people, um, they also look at this sort of subservient side of the model minority myth. Like they feel like even though, yeah, you say I'm going to be a lawyer or a doctor, they'll think that um, the society is telling them that when you're in that role, you'll just take orders and you won't go yeah. your own way or you won't start your own thing. You'll just do what society is telling you to do, whatever that role may be. Have you like encountered that? Have you talked no. to anyone about that? I don't, I don't, I don't, cause I just don't see that a lot. Mm -hmm. I see like a lot of, I mean, I guess it's just the people I choose to be around. Like I, I've never really felt that. So I don't, maybe that's like a part of my ignorance. Like, I don't know what that's like, but just the fact that somebody is in a high six figure paying job doing so financially well like uh, i mean that's my agent side where if i see somebody doing financially well and you worked hard to get that that's that's amazing to me mm -hmm. like that's so fucking dope but i think it maybe it's maybe it's for more people who i think it's a personal issue it's like sure. you wanted to be a creative but you chose not to and now you're blaming this model minority thing for why you never got mm -hmm. to be a creative that's how i do things like i liked i can't look at it the other way around because it, it kind of puts a roadblock into the way i am as a human being so it's like if you made that choice not to go into art because somebody told you that all you were going to be was a successful doctor, well, that was still your choice. You made that choice, right? Because I had those same obstacles. I just chose not to do it. And it was harder for me on the other end. You know what I mean? It was hard not to talk to my family. It was hard not to get my fucking, I got my ass beat all the time, dude. My dad threw a fucking chair at my head, I remember once. I was like, what the fuck is wrong with this guy, you know? Because I wanted to be something that I, that I, 
that I really, really loved. So, you know, it's it's hard for me to really empathize with that. And people might disagree, and that's okay. But I'd rather think that somebody thinking that I could be academically successful or have a high-paying job is something good. And if I have an option, I could choose not to be. Because we don't, I mean, what's the, what's the obstacle or hurdle? Like, I know, like, people are like, I want to break into Hollywood. You don't see a lot of Asian roles. Very fucking true. However, even I disagree with that sometimes, too, because... Fucking Parasite was a Korean film that fucking infiltrated this way, right? Mm -hmm. Korean people have had amazing directors and amazing films since day one. And I've never thought that we don't have great films just because what America saw, that's just what America saw. There's amazing Chinese films, there's amazing Korean films, Japanese films. Like, there's, it's, it's, it's ridiculous how much art that we create. And I don't think that a lot of people understand that this, like, Asian Americans think that our world is just here. It's not. Like, we have a huge reach everywhere else, you know? I wanted to say that I feel a lot of Asians um, grow up with fear. Yeah. And they're not um, willing to take risk. Mm -hmm. And they're, like, playing it safe. Like, oh, I'm just going to stick with this Asian girl because she's Asian. And they're afraid to reach out to other types of people. Oh, 100%. Um, I definitely... Like saw this growing up because I grew I I went to a lot I went to like same elementary school and <laughs> middle school as her um, in New York City, um, but like we grew up in a very diverse neighborhood and um, but I always lived in Staten Island and so I would travel to Manhattan which is like mm -hmm. an hour or so travel, mm -hmm. um, and like I would see I would hang out in Chinatown because my mom would work in Chinatown mm -hmm. and I would try to hang out with Chinatown kids. But I saw that there was like a difference and they didn't really like me because mm -hmm. I was like I would be called a white girl mm -hmm. or like um, I would just be very um, like more American than yeah, like, yeah, yeah. an immigrant uh, child because my mom was an immigrant and my dad were immigrants but like they came here when they were young. So they were pretty Americanized and I didn't really have to go through the same struggles as kids who grew up in like impoverished neighborhoods. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I was really lucky, but just like this identity thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I 100% mm -hmm. agree. And there's, you know, if you guys watch my podcast, there's a couple of YouTubers I always trash on, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you see like, these two Asian guys, right? And they always talk about like, oh, the reason why Asian women don't like us or white, white, white women don't like us is because of this, this and that. It's like, first of all, bro, what is your obsession with trying to get white women to like you? Mm -hmm. Like, what the fuck is that obsession? Why do they have to like you? They don't. You know, and I, I have this problem with like a lot of Asian influencers who are pushing this fucking rhetoric that number one. Like, they, they, they're just, like, thirsting for, like, white people appreciation. Mm -hmm. Like, let, let, let white people be them. Like, why you always got to hate on them for? You know what I mean? Like, we're, we're good. Like, we're, we're chilling. You know what I mean? And so, like, the, the problem that I have with these couple of guys is that they, they have this conversation where they always go, oh, it's because I'm Asian. Oh, it's because I'm Asian. The reason why this isn't happening is because I'm Asian. It's like, it's also because you suck. How about that? You know what I mean? Like, did you ever think for once that the reason why you, like, women don't like you is because you you're so insecure that it fucking just seeds out your fucking pores like i have a it's so funny too i talked about this on my podcast where it's one of these guys actually hit on one of my friends in new york and this was this is what their approach was and they're, they're very vocal about uh uh handsome asian men can't get a single white girl to like them which i don't know what their obsession is with that shit or get women to like them i'm like i was a hideous man and I, I have a fiancé, you know what I mean? I look better now, but 
But I was at my most hideous state when I got her. You know what I mean? And she's really cute. So it's like, how, well, what's that for me? I, I'm in a, my closest friends married a, a beautiful Mexican woman, another beautiful Mexican woman, and the other guy was with a, with a, with a white female. So, and they're all Asian. You know what I mean? So, well, 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 where's that? But, you know, long story short, with them, I told this on my podcast, like this guy approached one of my friends at a bar in New York, and the first thing he says, the most corniest thing, he goes, yo, I couldn't help but notice your swag from a distance. Her <gasps> pussy dried up so fast. <laughs> you know? And then he proceeds to just, like, harass her, right? And then she goes, oh, he goes, this was his uh, pickup line, by the way. And by the way, he's saying that he's he doesn't understand why women don't like him. It's because he's Asian. But it's not because he said this to her. Oh, have you heard of uh, these two YouTubers? They have a million subscribers. That's me. <laughs> oh, my God, dude. My skin started crawling. And she goes, no, I haven't. Right? And so he goes off. And then he tries to go hit on some one of the other one of her other friends. She goes, no, thanks. And he goes, why? Is it because I'm Asian? And it's like, that's why women don't like you. Because you use... And it's funny because these guys want them... They want to be like the face of Asian men. But it's like, you're the exact opposite of what I want Asian men to represent. That this guy who has no personal responsibility. The guy doesn't stand up. Because they think that they're standing up for the culture. You're not. You're making us look bad. You're making us look weak. And we're not weak at all. I don't I don't believe that a single Asian woman or man is weak. Like, why don't you come to a country, not know the language, not know how to fucking get a house. And then figure your way out in this country. Like, that's that's who we are, right? So I, I, I make it a point to battle other people who are influencers who are speaking for our culture in that type of way because I don't want us to think that our stereotypes are anything. We have great stereotypes to be honest. Maybe the small penis thing and the thing is like it's a little really offensive. But other than that, like I I think it's great to embrace like this mild model minority thing and just show people that hey, guess what? I have that and and I can do art. So it is what it is. Hi, I'm Ruby. I'm the secretary of Asian Outlook. Uh, I've been a fan for a long time, and I was wondering what happened to um, your little series that was like my first love. Um, so that my first love series, I was supposed to continue it, um, but I I was like super passionate about it at once, and then I kind of wanted to continue the story later on because that literally was about my very first girlfriend and. That, that was actually supposed, supposed to expand about my personal flaws as a human being. Uh, because when I first started dating girls, like so that girl that I was dating, I wanted to be her boyfriend since like the first time I ever met her. And then we finally got together when I was a senior year, when, when my senior year ended. And things were really great, we were flirting and all that whole story and stuff. But um, I, how that story was supposed to evolve in the second series was how I kind of went to a very dark place because I was seeking the affection of another woman so much that my identity as a good person was based on what she told me I was. So I fell in love with her because she made me feel like I was important, right? So I I got the girl that I always wanted. And so if she was upset at me, I was a bad person. If she was happy with me, I was a good person. So I started losing myself into this relationship and I started becoming a very negative person. I wanted to keep her to myself and that's where that story was supposed to evolve, which would have been a great story. Like I wanted to show people like how much of a fucking loser I was, (laughs) which is a very loser mentality. It's like, and it's like the reason why I ended up that way is, you know, just to go back to those two losers I was talking about before is because people like that, like them remind me of myself when I was younger, where I thought that because I was a nice guy and that I was doing everything for her, that she owed me her affection. So when she dumped me, I was like, you know, how could you fucking dump me? I'm a great guy. But that was because I was around people who were like-minded losers. 
who felt that a woman owed me her affection because I'm a nice guy. That's why I hate that phrase so much. Mm-hmm. Nice guys finish last. Nice guys never finish last. Mm-hmm. Losers finish last. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, like I talked about this on my podcast too. You don't get to, like let's say you and I, like I, I, I like you a lot, right? Just because I'm a nice guy. I mean, I'm pretty sure you probably had this too where a nice guy liked you or maybe he was a really, really sweet guy and you maybe you didn't feel the way and they, they were like, well, what's wrong with me? And they went away and they're like, well, nice guys always finish last. Or how about Lily doesn't like me? How about that? You know what I mean? It's cool. It's cool. Lily doesn't like me. And it's not because you're a nice guy. It's because Lily doesn't find me attractive. And it's okay. But it just goes back to that thing of like, People like that who go, oh, it's because of this. Oh, it's because I'm Asian. Oh, it's because I'm a nice guy. Or it's just people just don't like you. Maybe you're awkward. Maybe you guys don't match. And I was becoming that guy. And that's what that story was supposed to evolve into. And so I remember this one moment where um, <laughs> I was with her and we were we were kind of off and on after we broke up. And I wanted her, I really wanted her affection. And I was being really outlandish, trying to be too funny, really obnoxious. And uh, she looked at me and she goes, you know, you're kind of annoying. And I was like, what? <laughs> you know? Wait, what do you mean I'm annoying? And she goes, you're annoying. And that shit pissed me off. Like, it, it made me mad. And then I was going home, and I just remember I sat in my room just upset and pissed. I was like, what the fuck would she call me annoying? I'm not fucking annoying. Like, you, you know, we're friends. I was like, no, I know why I'm annoying, because I'm so desperate around her. Like, I'm so, I'm feeding for attention. I'm like, oh shit, I'm investing all my identity into this one person, and I'm not putting it here. It's like, what are you doing, bro? That was actually one of my first biggest lessons in life is when I when I actually got to finally look at myself and be like, David, so you're a loser. Like, oh shit, you're a loser. Like you're, you're trying to get this girl to fall in love with you again and she doesn't love you. And you keep saying that you deserve her affection. Like you owe, you owe me. Like you owe me your affection because I'm a sweet guy. And I remember this moment too where afterwards where I had this realization and I started distancing myself from her. And... She was somebody who kind of wanted her cake and eat it too. So it was like, I don't like you, but I still like the support that I get from you. And um, I remember she broke up with her boyfriend at the time. And she came over because I used to still, because we were friends still. We were best friends before we got together. I used to take her to school with me in my car. And then she came over and she goes, hey, like I broke up with my boyfriend. And I'm like, that's cool. What's up? <laughs> you know? And it was one of those moments I was like, oh shit, I kind of like broke those shackles. Like she doesn't have that control on me anymore. And I... Uh, she, I was like, hey, why are you telling me this? Like, it doesn't matter. And she goes, well, I just wanted to let you know. I was like, not because you just wanted to let me know. Because now it's like you've had your fun, and now that didn't work out. Now I'm option number two. So it was a, it was such a proud moment for me. I was like, oh, shit, David. Like, you you grew, you grew up. <laughs> you know? Like, you grew up. Like, you have a little bit of self-worth now. And I, I remember because I was, she was like my best friend at the time, too. She was like, I'm, I'm just going to try to be single. And I looked at her. I was like, you have never been single in longer than two weeks in your life. I was like, you're not. And she got pissed. Lo and behold, like a month later, she got together with somebody else. <laughs> you know? So I was like, well, you just proved me right. But that's where that story was supposed to go. Yeah. How was that transition going from doing like stand-up to video and podcast and film and stuff like that? I mean, I love podcasting because it's, I think when I was, I, I kind of fell out of love with stand-up. Um, I thought that's all I wanted to be, but I feel like with a with a podcast and open pod, I can still do stand up. It's still jokes, mm-hmm. but it's more casual. The the reason why I stay on YouTube and the reason why I do podcasts is because of people like you. It's because I I want to, I, I I fucked up so much in my life and I've learned so much, and I just want to just help people. So you know when you when you kind of figure out 
I don't know how old you guys are, but you'll figure out like what makes you tick when you're a little older. I mean, everything's new, young and fresh. And I only figured this out this year. Was that <laughs> it's like I figured out that my purpose in life is that I always want to help people. That's it. That's all I wanted to do. That's why stand up never stuck. That's why making films never stuck. That's why all this stuff never stuck. It was because everything that I've done was because of one thing. It was because I've always wanted to make people laugh and make them feel good. So no matter what I do, it's always going to go back to that. And podcasts have really helped because I get to really explain myself. So I would do this, you know, JK News. We would make a joke and they would cut off 70, 70% of the explanation. And like, Dave is an asshole. I was like, what did you do? You didn't listen to the whole thing. You know what I mean? So I decided to, you know, do a podcast. So we would have in like deeper conversations, especially with Joe. Like Joe is so articulate. Like he could really, he could even help me explain the thoughts that are in my head. So that's why I decided to do Genius Brain. And I think that when I receive responses of like, yo, thank you, that podcast helped me out. I love listening to your stuff. It makes me feel good, not because it's bringing glory to me, but it's because like, oh shit, all the fucked up mistakes that I've made is helping somebody else. So yeah, and I always want, and even before comedy, I wanted to be an educator. So it's just a way for me to kind of go back to what I really enjoyed in the first place anyways. I love it. I love that you realize that too, just because like I'm someone who hasn't had too difficult of a life. I had a, had a pretty good so far. Yeah. Um, but also you learn so much through those personal struggles that you have. So yeah. being able to have that network, especially through podcasts where you can explain yourself, which is why you know we started a podcast because yeah. it helps so much. It allows people like us to get a breadth and also a depth in terms of in terms of understanding what other struggles people go with. And I love hearing too, like when I think it's so weird in LA when I meet people and I have a conversation with some people, they go, uh, the, the people, Asian people almost have like this survivor's guilt. Like if they didn't go through some struggles, they feel bad. Mm. It's like, nah, but that's why your parents fucking kicked ass. Like you should be proud of that shit. Like I even know friends who like, who they bought houses in LA and you know, they lied to me where they go, well, he's like, oh yeah, I worked hard and saved up. I was like, no, you didn't. Fucking parents gave you that money. Why, why are you discrediting all your parents' hard work? Like just say, you know, my parents helped me out. Nothing to be ashamed of. You should be proud of that shit that your parents worked hard and they gave you fuck. My parents would do the same for me too, and I would gladly take it. <laughs> you know, like I would never lie about that stuff. But I think it's just sometimes they, people almost it's like it's like that guy that grew up in the the suburbs, but he wants to be a thug. They want street cred so bad. It's it's so odd when I see that shit all the time. They go, Yo, what's up, man? Like, yeah, man, I know that struggle. Like, you can struggle. You don't have to struggle. Like, just be proud of who you are. You said you wanted to pursue comedy, and you were sixteen. Yeah. What was the driving force in your childhood? That was Mike asking, by the way. That was Mike asking, by the way. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think, um, so originally I wanted to do music, right? And I think, like, when I was doing music, it was more, it was like, I was very emotional, you know? So (laughs) I was, like, super emotional kid, and it was really, you know, that's how I get girls to talk to me. (laughs) You know? So, you know, I was saying that's how I get, you know, I'll I'll talk to women that way. But I remember there was this uh, very interesting moment where, uh, I was doing music and comedy at the same time, and I wanted to be a musician really fucking bad, but I would get so nervous on stage, I would just start cracking jokes all the time, and then people started coming up to me and being like, yo, you're that comic, and I'm like, no, I'm a singer, bro, you know what I mean? like, and I, I found out that I had a knack for singing, I mean, for comedy instead, and I remember there was this moment where there was this huge variety show that they had in Sacramento, and there was like a bunch of people there, and I had my guitar, and I just sat there, and I was like, I don't... I don't think I want to do this anymore. And I looked at my buddy. He was the one who threw it. I was like, hey, bro, so I'm going to do a, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do a stand-up set. And he goes, no, you can't. I was like, yeah, I am. <laughs> and I just left my guitar and I went up and I did stand-up instead, which kind of shocked people. But I didn't prepare a set and I just did like a fucking 40-minute set, just rambling, making jokes. And it, it felt right at the time. And I think what I liked was 
making people laugh made me feel so good because when I was younger, I didn't have like a great, my self-esteem wasn't great. So I would do things by, you know, self-deprecating humor and it would make me feel better. Like self-deprecating humor as, as a, as a high school student, that's like a fat dude, overweight with glasses, chubby, dressed terrible was a way for me to like take the power of somebody. It's like, you can make fun of me, but I already made fun of myself and I did it better. So what you got, (laughs) you know, but it felt really good to help people laugh because that was the thing that kept my sanity, which is, which really kept me positive was I can make these jokes. Like laughter was something that it's number one, it's free. And number two, it was like therapy, you know, like when you laugh, when somebody makes you laugh, you forget in that one moment, everything that's going wrong in your life. Like it feels so cathartic. And that's what I loved about comedy. Um, and at the time, like, that's what I would feed off of. But then I later found out that I could do that through other ways. Podcast, film, it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be stand-up. Like, I'm saying I'm not doing stand-up right now, but who knows, two years from now, I might do it. I, I never say never, say never, right? But I, I might go back to it and start doing it again. I'm always writing new sets 24 fucking 7. So it's not something that I'm ever going to give up, but uh, that's kind of like the catalyst that kind of got me into comedy was the fact that I just liked watching people laugh. Like, it made me feel good. I guess just to like finish up, we were just wondering what like future projects you have in store. Like you're talking about your Netflix show that's coming out. Yeah, so I have like a couple of things coming out on Netflix. There's a like I'm this year. I, I really do want to pursue more of the the writing side and, and creating my own projects. Just because there's a lot of Asian American things that are coming out, but I fucking hate them all. So <laughs> I wanted to. It's it's, it's so like and this is my opinion, complete opinion. Like Hollywood has this way of yeah they go. We'll be inclusive, but only the stuff that I want to be inclusive. But my story is very different. You know, I'm not the every Asian American experience. You know, there are people who do relate to certain parts, but I want to be able to say my story, and a lot of not a lot of people will back it. So I got to make it myself. That's why we did Goop because nobody would, nobody was going to buy that shit. Mm-hmm. I have to make it myself and show people like this is a great story, and people do relate to this shit. So I want to. It's been like a two year hiatus since I started writing. So I want to write again and create something really great and very impactful. That group film made me nothing. It made me no money whatsoever. But it was one of the most soul satisfying things I've ever done in my life. Like if I died tomorrow, I would be okay because I had this film that represented everything that I was going on, everything that I wanted to say. So I want to go back and feel that again. So when I create something new or act in something. There's an, in, there's an indie film that has like zero budget that was sent to me and I kind of like the story so I just might do it just not get paid and just do it anyways so damn I love <laughs> film I'm starting to write films so hearing that encourages me a lot yeah man like you damn dude like I tell you this dude like when you create something whether it's good or bad it doesn't matter like as long as you get it out there Thank God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> God, I, I look back at all my old videos. Dash. You know, like, but it doesn't matter because you have to just create. Mm-hmm. Not everything you do is going to be perfect. You, nobody has the Midas touch. Not everything you touch is going to be gold. But like it, when you create, just fucking do it. Do it unapologetically and do better on the next one. Do better on the next one. Do better on the next one. Everybody holds things like they're so precious, yeah. right? Oh, when I do this, it has to be perfect. Yo, everything you've done it as a kid, when you drew and you just started drawing, it was all trash, right? <laughs> it was crappy. I mean, you drew this fucking turtle and your parents were like, nice giraffe. You know, it was, it was shitty. So, you know, I think having that mentality of just creating unapologetically and then being okay that when people look at it, they go, that shit was terrible. It's like, you're right, but watch the next one. Watch the next one. You know, learn from your mistakes. Be, be a huge consumer of art too, by the way. Always, always consume the stuff that you want to do. It's it's one of the things that fucking infuriates me about a lot of people. Like, if I want to be a filmmaker, right, 
and I ask, or you want to be a filmmaker, right? Or anybody. And I've run into this problem so much. I go, cool, man. What's your top five favorite films? I don't know. What the fuck are you talking about? Like, why do you want to do film then? Right? It's like, when's the last time you watched the film? I don't know. I watch like a film, I watch a film a month. Then you're in the wrong thing. You have to be a consumer and appreciator of the art first before you create it. Period. End of story. The best musicians, they consume music like none other. You'll see it. Like, you'll see it like in, in every single fucking award show. When a song comes on, you don't ever hear one of those artists who are like, Jay-Z, you see him mumbling the words. Because he knows that song. They listen to that shit. They repeat the words of other artists that they appreciate. People now don't do that. They go, ah, oh, like, I don't, I don't want to, I'm, I'm not down with that shit. It's like, how? How can you appreciate art when you don't consume it? That's why for me, I am, I'm only saying this because I was like this too. You know? So now I'm starting to go back to watching more film listening to more podcasts and just appreciating other people's artwork because now I can learn from it and make something and add it to my own arsenal. So like for you, if you want to do film, read a bunch of scripts, watch films consistently, see what you love, create, create a fucking three minute sketch, five minute sketch, make it into a short film and it could be the shittiest thing ever, but at least you did it mm-hmm. and show it to your friends. They go, yeah, that shit wasn't good. I'm like, you know, shit, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like uh, the Duplass brothers, right? Mark Duplass and when that, they, they shot on a fucking VHS tent, bro. Like this, that's their advice. They go create. You have no reason not to create anymore because you have this. You have a fucking cell phone. This creates videos all the time. This this fucking phone creates digital video better than it was made ten years ago. Ten years ago, it's only a fucking decade, dude. So if you have this, you should be able to create a film, mm-hmm. no matter what. I do have this. Awesome. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Real last question here. Um, if someone wanted to follow you, follow what you do, any videos, anything like that, where could they go? Uh, you could just find me, David So Comedy and the Genius Brain Podcast. Uh, other than that, just just watch out for me. I'm going to be on Netflix, and I'm going to do a lot of some bigger things, man. It's going to be a fun 2020, and I'm going to work hard this year, so it'll be good. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming out. For sure. Yeah. Awesome. Woo!